So today we're going to take a cue from our children and do some learning of our own. Um, as most of you know, we have just finished a study of Adam Hamilton's book, Making Sense of the Bible. It's been a great study, and all of us have learned a lot, and it just seemed to me it would be beneficial to share some of Hamilton's information and insight with you and a few things of my own with all of you. And you know what, Glaffy, can you step around and flip on the last light switch because we're, we're kind of in the dark up here. Yeah, that'd be great. My eyes are getting older. I need more light. There's one more. Okay. So two weeks ago, we took a look. At, it's at the bottom. There's a set of three at the bottom. Yeah, there we go. Yay. Ah. Two weeks ago, we took a look at the, the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, the scriptures of the Jewish people. We walked through its contents and learned how the Old Testament was formed, that its stories and songs and prayers and laws were passed down orally from one generation to another and only later written down. In fact, it wasn't until sometime after 586 B.C. when the Jewish people returned to uh, Israel after the Babylonian exile that all this material was finally edited together into the scriptures we have today. While the Old Testament can, does contain descriptions of violence, harsh rebukes, and dire warnings that purport to be from God, it is primarily the story of God's love and grace, of God's desire to be in relationship with humankind, and of God's ongoing work to bring about peace and wholeness and harmony. And this story continues in the New Testament, which we'll look at today. So you've got a Bible somewhere in front of you. Find the Bible. And if you don't have one, reach into a different pew or raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. We have plenty of them. And then turn to the New Testament, which is about three-quarters of the way through the entire Bible. The Old Testament actually takes up three-quarters of the way. The New Testament is just the last quarter of it. And put one finger um, on the first page of Matthew. And then turn to page 116. Be aware that the numbering starts over in the New Testament. And that's the end of John. Okay, so you should have a kind of a slim set of pages there. Like that. The word gospel, um, the, as you know, the New Testament begins with four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word gospel means good news, and these books are good news indeed, for they contain the defining story of the Christian faith, the story of Jesus the Christ, his birth, his ministry, his death, and resurrection. The rest of the New Testament is just testimony to that story. Now, let me talk about that a little bit. Jesus didn't write a book. Nothing. For as Hamilton points out, and I love this, Jesus wasn't just a messenger from God. He was the message. He was, as John's gospel put it, the word made flesh. As such, Jesus taught and healed, guided, and blessed, but he didn't write anything. And after his resurrection, he didn't tell his followers to write anything either. Instead, they, he sent them out to give testimony as his witnesses. And witness they did. Starting in Jerusalem, the, the apostles preached the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to the ends of the known world. And along with the work of the Holy Spirit, it was their preaching, not anything they wrote, that formed the church. 
The story of their preaching and the beginning of the early church is found in the first book after the Gospels, the book of Acts, which you'll find if you just flip over the page. The Acts of the Apostles. After Acts come the epistles or letters, many of which were written by a man named Paul. Paul was a Pharisee who was so zealous for his faith that when he was commissioned to persecute Christians, he did so with great enthusiasm. But then Paul had his own encounter with the risen Christ, and he himself became an apostle, a task that he entered into with equal, if not greater, enthusiasm. Sometime around 44 to 48 A.D., Paul felt called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to those outside the Jewish faith. Up until that time, it had been just a Jewish sect. As he went from town to town, Paul's usual practice was to find a synagogue and preach there. And then when they threw him out, which they pretty much often did, to share his message with the Gentiles. Those who responded positively would be gathered into a house church. Paul would appoint leaders of that church and then go on to the next town, sometimes voluntarily. (laughs) However, even after Paul left, he was committed to the churches that he formed, and he kept in touch with them via letters. In those letters, he responded to questions, corrected errors, shared his theology of Jesus, and offered practical instruction. Some 15 of the 21 letters that we have in the New Testament claim to be written by Paul. The earliest of Paul's letters is either 1 Thessalonians or Galatians. When you can keep flipping pages, Galatians, for example, starts on 187, and 1 Thessalonians is a little beyond that. Um, yeah, so those are the earliest ones, and um, they were written around 48 to 50 A.D., some 18 to 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. So it took a while for things to start to be written down. This is the oldest document. These are the oldest documents that we have in the New Testament. The rest were written, uh, Paul's letters were written between 48 and 65 A.D. when Paul was martyred, and all of them are older than the Gospels. So the earliest things in the New Testament are those epistles of Paul. When we read these letters, we are reading someone else's mail. I'm always amazed when I remember that. Though the early church gave these letters the authority of Scripture, it is important to keep in mind that they address specific issues, needs, and situations that may or may not apply to us. Hamilton suggests that we approach the epistles by trying to hear what those who wrote them were saying to their communities. What did they mean to the people then? And after that, ask, how does that message speak to me and to my community today? It's good advice. The final book in the the New Testament is one that confuses many people, the book of Revelation. As it happens, this book is also a letter, and I'm just going to tell you that, so you maybe take take a chance and look at it, actually read through it a little bit. It's written by John of Patmos to seven churches in Turkey. In the first three chapters, you'll see some specific messages to each of those churches. The letter was written around 100 AD in a time when not only the emperor of Rome, but Rome itself was worshipped. And it was written to encourage the churches to hold fast to their faith. John wanted them to know that even though their faithfulness could be costly, in the end, Rome would be defeated and God's kingdom would prevail. 
He did so using a form of literature called apocalypse, which makes use of fantastic images and visions to get across its message. Now, many believe that Revelation describes human history or foretells the future, but I agree with most mainline theologians that its message was for the people of that day. And yet, Revelation can also speak to us, for we too live in a time, in troubling times, and in a culture that challenges our faith, and this book is a powerful reminder that God is ultimately in charge. I'm going to go back to the Gospels for a minute. It may have surprised some of you to learn that the Gospels were not the first books written in the New Testament. Again, bear in mind that the good news was not written at first, but preached. And it's thought that people naturally wanted to write down some of the stories and sayings that they had heard the apostles preach and so that they can remember them. And gradually and gradually, more and more people began to write things down and to gather them together. As time went on, those who had known and those who had known Jesus began to pass away. Others began to pull Jesus' sayings and stories into more formal document. The first paragraph of Luke's gospel gives us a glimpse of this process. Since many have undertaken to set down an orderly event, excuse me, account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed on to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed. Scholars have determined that the earliest of these orderly accounts in our New Testament is the Gospel of Mark, which was written around 70 A.D., some 40 years after Christ's crucifixion. And if you think back, if that sounds like a long time, you have to think back and say, can you remember things from 40 years ago? Yeah, you can. So people that were writing these can remember, and they had talked to other people that had seen Jesus and talked with him, and they began to write them down. The authors of both Matthew and Luke, which were written around 80 or 90 A.D., appear to have used Mark as the basis of their gospel, which means that these three gospels are very similar. For that reason, they are called the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic means to see with. They see with each other. They're not exactly the same, of course. Matthew and Luke share some material not found in Mark, and each of them contains its own unique content. Nevertheless, the synoptics present Jesus in much the same way and include many of the same stories and teachings. Not so with the fourth gospel, the Gospel of John. Written circa 90 to 100 A.D., John is the latest of the four gospels, And it approaches Jesus from an entirely different viewpoint. In fact, it's been called the spiritual gospel. John is less concerned with what Jesus said and did and more concerned with who he is and what he means to us. In the synoptic gospels, Jesus speaks in parables. In John's gospel, he often uses metaphors. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke offer a more human picture of Jesus. 
Well, John makes the relationship with Jesus and his father very clear. In the Synoptic Gospels, John calls, Jesus calls his followers to be part of God's kingdom and is concerned with their behavior. In John, Jesus calls his followers to believe in him, to love him, to abide with him, to be born anew in him. In other words, to be in relationship with him. Personally, I'm really grateful that we have both these views of Jesus, son of man and son of God. I love John's gospel and his invitation to an intimate, loving relationship with Christ. But I also love Matthew, Mark, and Luke for the stories and sayings that show me how to live in and through that relationship. It took me a long time to come to a relationship with Jesus beyond the Sunday school level. As I mentioned before, I came to love the Bible while in a two-year teacher training class for the Bethel Bible series a long time ago. Learning the history of the Bible and how the scriptures came to be put together was fascinating, but it also caused me to have a crisis of faith for I found myself asking, who is this Jesus anyway? And if the books of the New Testament were written so long after Jesus' death, how do we know any of it is true? I wish I had had Hamilton's book back then because it would have helped me. Not only would I realize that our Gospels are the products of a continuous process of preaching and writing over time, but I would have understood that the books in our New Testament were accepted as Christian scripture because they met certain criteria. Scholars call the first of those criteria apostolicity or association. Though they were written anonymously, early on the church associated Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the epistles with the very first generation of Christian leaders, with the apostles. They saw them as coming from the apostles to them. Another criterion is Catholicity or universality. The word Catholic means universal. The Gospels, as well as other books in the New Testament, came to be seen as Scripture because they were accepted as useful and helpful by a majority of churches over time. The third criterion is consistency. The books in our New Testament were also accepted as Scripture because they were found to be consistent with the Christian faith as it was established by the apostles and preached in the churches. I would add one other criterion, the reason that they were written. The authors of the Gospels and the other books in the New Testament, for that matter, didn't write these books to become famous or to make money or to become great writers and authors. They wrote them as a witness to the one they believed to have come from God and whom they had come to call Lord. The Gospel of John perhaps puts it best. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to, or may continue to, the Greek goes either way, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name that through believing you may have life in his name. 
My relationship with Jesus is still a work in progress. But over the years, I have come to love the Jesus who washed his disciples' feet, told them to love one another, and fed all of them bread and wine, even though he knew they were going to betray and deny and desert him. I want to follow the Jesus who dared to talk with a Samaritan woman by a well and who saved a woman caught in adultery, who told stories of a shepherd who left 99 sheep in search of one and of a father who ran to welcome home his wayward son. I want to learn from the Jesus who blessed little children and saw the crowds with compassion who said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, the mournful, the merciful, the peacemakers, those who thirst after righteousness, who told us to love our enemies and then showed us how to do that by forgiving those who nailed him to the cross. I find strength and hope through the Jesus who told his disciples, I will be with you even to the end of the age, and who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet they will live. I trust in the one from whose love Paul wrote, nothing, nothing can ever separate us. How do we know these things about Jesus, Hamilton asks? We know them, he says, because we have the Bible a gift from God and from the early church to us. Whether you know it well or barely looked at it, I encourage you to open this gift and to read it so that you may indeed believe in Jesus and receive life, not just in eternity, but right here and now. May it be so. Amen.